Hello again, welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from the Sophist Group. This is episode 204 now, Adrian hosting today and Renaud's joining me to talk about handing over manufacturing. Hi Renaud. Hey Adrian and hi everybody. Well, interesting topic today. <laughs> it's uh, actually not a simple one. It's certainly not, but it's one that's going to affect a lot of businesses when they're trying to get their products manufactured. It's as simple as that, right? And mm. so hopefully we can kind of do it in a nutshell and uh, do the topic justice in our usual sort of time frame. So to get started, I guess set the scene, Renaud, what the context of it is. I mean, you've been designing and developing a new product perhaps and i suppose let's focus on hard goods with you know mechanical or maybe some electronic parts because that's what we normally specialize in for our customers and you've got to the point where you well you need to start the process to get this into manufacturing so you're going to hand over to a manufacturer right. what's the motivation behind doing that please well first not everybody uh, does that sometimes I, I i see you know some some companies sometimes in the us and canada they want to keep things very close to that to themselves they want to keep the volumes low and maybe the innovator who's been doing some of the, the design and development on a, on a shoestring budget is is going to start selling, you know, one unit there, one unit there, you know, and and maybe mm. they will get to um, twenty units a month, and maybe a hundred units a month, and maybe they're happy to manage that themselves with lower margin because they're buying the the parts in low volume in North America, and 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 they will do the assembly and the testing themselves or with their family or their friends or whatever. And and that model works for some people, and then uh, you know think maybe uh, niche B two B products that really respond to a business need, and they can sell at a relatively high price, and there's no competition, right? And they're happy to do it with a, a low volume, high margin, uh, high price kind of approach. So that 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 makes makes sense, right? Not everybody mm. has to pass things on to a manufacturer right. if it's uh, if it's still a relatively simple product and as i mentioned that's fine some people do that however most of the people that we talk to well they are thinking hey no 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 um, we want the relatively low unit cost we want the ability to have uh, the margin while still being cost competitive on the market and maybe mm. and 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 most people who develop new uh, new products that that we talk to again, they are shooting for many thousands and, and, and tens of thousands and uh, ideally hundreds of thousands of 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 par of, of pieces to deliver mm. to the market, right? So they don't want to handle that in their garage. Uh, so um, right. so they at one point they have to pass that on to a manufacturing facility, and a manufacturing mm. facility ideally will also contribute to to give, maybe give some feedback on the on the product design you know design for manufacturing design for reliability these kind of things depending on the the manufacturer's competencies mm -hmm. and and the manufacturer 
will do the industrialization, the, the later phases of the new product introduction process, right? Mm. So that it goes into mass production relatively smoothly uh, with um, reasonable, you know, a reasonable risk and cost profile, let's say, right? So um, now, so the question is how to actually hand over that information to the manufacturer. It's not just you find somebody on Alibaba and, you know, they speak good English. Okay, let me send you all the design files and, okay, let's just go into mass production. It's fine, right? Uh, that is really not something you want to do. No. People people to do it sounds sounds very risky. <laughs> it is very right. risky. <laughs> right, right. So the bad practice that's actually been going on, you know, for, for a long time. It's very well known. It's something you should not do is to have designers work on the product design and then they say okay that's fine we have prototype it works and here's the industrial design files and we specified what it's supposed to look like and then just send it over the wall you know that's sort of the expression mm. uh, to the manufacturing guys and sometimes that was done in in you know in the 50s in the 60s you know in in companies that has the maybe the design studio co-located in the same place as the the process engineers and the, the manufacturing people right and that was just mm. nuts they would just say okay that that's it your job is just to make it happen and uh, we we don't want to hear about you right uh, just just make it happen <laughs> get to lunch in three months just just do it right uh, so that that really doesn't work for a number of reasons and we I think we discussed that in a previous episode about design for manufacturing. Basically, if you don't take into account the manufacturing process and also the testing process, if you you know if you don't get in a feedback from the manufacturing folks about how they're going to make it and can they actually do it as planned, you know what are the processes they're going to 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 use, what are they going to do to be the downsides. What are some alternatives, etc.? But well, you're going to run into a problem, right? Uh, plus, sometimes maybe you design a product and it just can't be made. Uh, sometimes we, we have people come to us and say, "Well, you know, for, for example, the, the plastic enclosure. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, that's you know, the designer made it this way and it looks good. And we're like, mm. well, even the best." plastic shop in the world is not going to be able to make it with plastic injection molding. So what are you thinking of? You know, oh, well, um, you know, the prototype, we did 3D printing and it, it went well. Yeah, right. But <laughs> yeah. when you have two parts of a mold that come together and uh, even with, with all the sliders in the world and all the, all, all the extra little things that you can do, uh, this is not, this geometry, it's just not possible. Right, so you need mm. to maybe do make it into separate parts, um, whatever I know. Uh, cut it here. It, it's it's um it's really um it's really important. Sometimes they have two parts that are nearly symmetrical. We're like, you know, if you make it exactly symmetrical, then uh, it's going to be much easier with just one mold. But if you have this and this and this that are you know, it, it's not really necessary. Once we design, once we understand the design intent, right? We understand design intent and we look at things and, okay, this is not really necessary. It could be a bit different, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, then we'll make that change. And it's going to be, uh, you, you're going to save maybe $10,000 of, of uh, you know, investment in a mold right here. Oh, okay, well, let's make this change. 
right? Uh, and things are going to be faster and so on and so forth. So there's a lot to be said about design for manufacturing. It also, it's not just about cost or, you know, it's also about the, the quality level that you're looking for. For example, mm -hmm. another very typical example, people say, okay, for um, a metal part, we want it to be nicely finished like this, maybe with anodizing. And we're like, wait a minute, um, <laughs> on, on a cast part, there's going to be porosity. So the quality issues are going to be, you know, a big problem. And if you give a standard to the metal supplier, you know, once it's anodized, they will have to put aside and rework a lot of parts. You know, it's not just rework. It's, if there's too much porosity, uh, they will have to remelt it and reprocess it. And that's going to push the cost up a lot, right? Plus, you're going to st still have not very nice quality anyway. So you got to change that. You got to think of something else, right? Or, or also comes to uh, really understanding the the use case, the use environment of the product. Well, it's going to be used there, you know, maybe on um, on a boat <laughs> that goes on on on, on the ocean. Oh, okay, so it's mm. an extremely corrosive environment. I mean, <laughs> is there, you know stainless steel is is still going to be okay? If it's outdoor all the time, you know what 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 can you do? Uh, you know, put extra whatever powder coating and 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 things like that, right? Th these are the questions that that really need to be asked. The, the problem is, you okay? You work on the architecture and you like and the, the industrial design and so on, and then you 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 have some people go into the the, the details of the um, the the engineering design. Okay, and maybe it's people in your team, and maybe it's people in in a design house, or you know maybe freelancers, maybe on Upwork or whatever. Okay, and you give them some milestones. You say, okay, I get to get this, and I get to um, get to have a, um, a functioning prototype, etc. And they get mm. it's human nature. They get focused on okay, that's the next step. I'm just going to focus on making it work, right? And uh, maybe they don't ask all the questions, you know. So, so you get you get to the point where okay, it works, it works, all right. But there's a lot of other questions that need to be asked. It's not just does it work, does it not work? Is mm. how are going to how are people going to use it? You know, uh, is it really fit for the the use case, the use environment? Okay, but also how is it going to be made? With what processes? And what's you know. What's the impact on cost? What's the impact on quality? What's the impact on um, on, on on the timing? Also, certain things are much slower. Um, how is it going to be tested? Right. Uh, sometimes you um, you have a, or, or like how is it going to be assembled? How how is the person who assembles it going to know if it's placed the right way or not? Sometimes people have to reach out. Um, you know, under a product, they can't really see anything. They they fumble mm -hmm. a bit with their fingers. They have to push it in. There's no click or no um, no no feedback, clear feedback that it's it's nicely assembled, well in place. And okay, how are you going to inspect then? Well, once once it's there, the only way to inspect it is actually to to disassemble everything. So you, you can't inspect it, right? So how are you going to mistake profit? Um, 
this, these are the types of questions, and I'm forgetting some of them. I don't have the full checklist here in front of me, but right. um, design for manufacturing, uh, it's, it's, um, it, it, it is often sometimes um, so, something that is, um, uh, is not taken into account by the people doing the engineering design, or they take mm. some of it into account, but you still need a review by an external party. I mean, design reviews are extremely valuable. Even from the start, you know, especially on the architecture and so on, you need to have a, an experienced uh, tech lead to, to look at it and, and, and provide some feedback and, and review it anyway. But it's, 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 it's very, very true also for DFM. Like, okay, so who's going to do the DFM? If you select a, an experienced uh, contract manufacturer, that has the people who can do that, well, then you can rely on them because they're going to do the DFM based on their own processes and their own, you know, their own suppliers' processes and, 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 and their experience and so on. If they are going to do the manufacturing, mm. is is good if they do the, the DFM review and, and they suggest some changes and maybe... maybe um, Maybe the, the engineers who have done the design and, until then are going to do the, the the changes, right? Or maybe the manufacturer's team is going to do some of the changes. Right? But in any case, um, that is really, really, uh, really very, very important, right? Um, also, reliability. I mean, very often we, we review something that a customer sends to us and we're like, well, whoa, <laughs> okay. There's going to be a lot of vibrations, so maybe you need more screws here to to keep everything and the PCB and everything in place, right? It's just an example, yeah. right? Once you really understand how it's going to be used, what environment, what what special cases, uh, what what stresses can be expected, then it's important to also uh, have a review. Uh, however, okay, most manufacturers don't really uh, review for reliability. That's not really their job. Reliability is really more about the product design than the manufacturing of the products, right? So that's typically yeah. I would advise people to design for reliability and get some reviews about reliability early on. First prototype, second prototype, look at it and and, uh, and, and confirm it's it's um, it's all good, right? So that's, that's um, anyway, my long... <laughs> explanation about why it's so important to to actually get a review of the design uh the design files and and, and everything mm. and if it's a if it's a good manufacturer that that is used to doing that then they can provide a lot of value and it is is really a must mm. you can't skip that mm. yeah we've said it before for sure but it's worth repeating and you know this is the bad practice, right? Throwing the product drawings over the wall means mm-hmm. not going through that review. And that's been so detailed and you haven't even included everything. So it just shows mm. how much dialogue is needed. Uh, what what if you do give a manufacturer, you know, your prototype, maybe some product designs and mm. just say to them, okay, guys, go ahead. I mean, would it potentially be that they basically they sort of wrestle with it for a while and then eventually they come back and say we just can't make it so you've wasted a lot of time and money or do they or do you do you wind up with a product that is you know nothing like what you would expect and then everybody's really disappointed it could be a lot of a lot of things 
I mean, recently I talked to a company that picked very clearly the wrong manufacturer. They went mm. to them and then they say, okay, this is our design. And then the manufacturer, you know, what is their their incentive is to go into mass production as fast as possible. So oh, yeah. they say, okay, well, we need to make the tooling. Okay, well, let's start making the tooling. You know, send the money. Here's the quote. Let's do it. Okay. No DFM made at all. But the problem is that the, the, the design, the design drawings were not mature. So some of that tooling can be salvaged and some of it has to be, um, well, some of it has to be reworked with some minor changes and some of it has to be basically scrapped. So that's a lot of money thrown uh, down the drain, right? Uh, that, wow. That's just one example. I mean, if it clearly cannot be made, they will tell you it cannot be made. But the problem is the later, that's an that's, um, important point right here, is that if you wait until you have the final working, uh, you know, work-like and look-like prototype and everything, and you send it to a manufacturer and, okay, let's, you know, do it. And then they tell you, well, it can't be made that way. Then you have to go back to design files. But mm. if you had known about that three months earlier, you would have you would have uh, done the redesign at that point. And maybe there's a lot of other, um, lot of other things that are uh, relying on that part of the design. So if you need to, to redesign one module of the product, it might have a lot of other consequences, right? So the earlier you know it, yeah. the, the 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 better, and that's why that's why um, if you can't do the manufacturing to do a DFM review, well, you need to start the handover before you think that the product design is frozen and everything is good. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's a good point there. Okay. Good. So that's the sort of bad of it. Right. Now let's look at the good practice. So you've got kind of a, a list of, of points that everybody should keep in mind when actually going through the handover process, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I'm going to go through a few points one by one. And the first one is obviously before you actually hand over to a manufacturer, you need to select the manufacturer, right? So maybe you mm-hmm. you already have a another product that's in the same space and so on and you already work with a, a good manufacturer okay well talk talk to them about the new one and, you know you know if, if they've been doing a good job um keep keep going with the same one right that that makes sense now if you if you're not in that situation you need to go out there and find a new supplier right so uh again i refer to a past episode about uh, the different kinds of suppliers, you know, contract manufacturer versus ODM versus ODM. Mm. Um, if you've been developing your own product from scratch, well, obviously it's not going to be ODM because ODM is means that the product design is based on the supplier's existing products. Um, uh, OEM, that's when the supplier will do some of the design, but they uh, they will kind of take ownership of some of it. You know, it's really not usually something we uh, we suggest. Uh, so, if you want control of you know over your um, your product design and your your project in general, uh, you want to go with a CM, right? Contract manufacturer. Okay, and uh, contract manufacturer. So, the, you, you can 
you can look for contract manufacturers, uh, you can talk to them, you can see which ones have the right kind of uh, expertise and experience. Um, you know, if you make, I don't know, uh, if you make drones, well, you don't go to a contract manufacturer that's specialized in, uh, I don't know, uh, kitchen equipment, right? For example, <laughs> uh, or if you if your product has a relatively advanced uh, camera module that you, you you've been and you've been already working with a with a camera manufacturer or maybe a display manufacturer or something you know complex where you've already been tweaking an existing design and it's going to be a key module of your product then you want a contract manufacturer so that has some experience around that because they will mm. also have to uh, to understand how to integrate it with the rest of the product but also um, how to test it, right? For example, and uh, you would you would need them because probably they're in the same country, right? As the that mm-hmm. uh, module supplier, specialized module supplier, you would need them to uh, to do the work of coordinating things and so on, right? So it's better if they are in the same space, let's say. Uh, and mm-hmm. some contract manufacturers deal with a lot of you know a very wide range of products. That's fine. Just make sure that they understand the main technologies and the main manufacturing processes, right? That's really the key. Ask for, you know, ask how they work. Ask to see if, uh, you know, when it comes to the main terms of the contract, everything is aligned and everything, right? Um, see if communication is is, is easy. Uh, see if they have a structured process for new product introduction versus they usually count on their supply on on their customers to to uh, to provide the structure or in that case if they don't have internally the right validation processes you know the the, the right gates okay we don't go into tooling before we have done dfm for example right but that that's where really you expose yourself to all, all kinds of issues okay so first you select a manufacturer right and they are going to be your main supplier meaning that Okay, hopefully they also provide you for some transparency, right? Uh, you're not going to be left totally in the dark when it comes to what uh, what component suppliers are used and so on and so forth. So they are going to orchestrate and coordinate the rest of the supply chain. And you, you want to make sure you're not sort of hooked in, right? Oh, there's some tooling made. You know, you have a contract that actually says you can pull the tooling at any time and that contract is enforceable you know, in the country where they're located. These are the kind of things that's really, really important. Okay, so then you 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 need to tell them, you need to, to start to actually hand over the information. And chances are there's a lot of history and it's not so easy to actually, uh, to, to, to give uh, the, the full picture of it in, uh, in, in a one hour call, right? So try to provide a brief, okay, a high level brief, okay, this is the kind of product, it aims at, you know, um, solving this kind of problem or providing this kind of value is for this kind of users going to be used like this. Um, maybe you 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 shoot a video of um, you know here's the main parts, here's how it comes together, here's how the product works, here's from the user perspective how it works. You know. Put together a first draft of the user manual. Uh, okay, the user is going to be, to do this, then it's going to do this, then it's going to do, then this will happen. You know the the main flow of the, the, the features, let's say, because this is really important. It's also dictates how the, uh, 
product will be um, evaluated, will be tested, you know, function tested, right? Uh, you, you, you've picked some um, components and materials and everything. Well, then you should have an initial bill of material, right? An engineering bomb uh, that at least uh, provides uh, a, a list of components, right? Uh, so there's one part that's going to be the top of the housing and there's, you know, there's this part that's going to be whatever, a button, et cetera, et cetera. With, and maybe you um, you link to the exact model uh, that that you used if it's standard off the shelf or if it's uh, standard uh, sorry if it's customized you know, custom designed um, okay then you, you you need to provide the mechanical drawings and it's all it should all be numbered you know so it's easy for people to see okay from element n- number twelve on the bomb is this part this part of the me- mechanical drawing right. Um, mm. also, um, things like what are the critical performance targets, you know, what's really, really important that this product, you know, it has to do that. So, um, for example, we, we've been doing some work on like electro electrical skateboards, right? So the electrical skateboard, mm-hmm. uh, it's got to go up to that speed within that many seconds with a person who is that heavy, you know, these kind of things you, you need to start to translate it. Okay, this is what the user is going to, to see, but then as much as possible, you translate it in engineering speak, you know. Okay, that means whatever, the motor has to provide that much torque or, you know, the acceleration has to be that fast. Uh, these types of things. Because this will have to, to, to be tested and validated, right? The expected quality level. Now, people... <laughs> I stopped counting how many times people say, "Well, you know, just look at the iPhone; it's really nice, and yeah. we need the we need the same, uh, the same, uh, oh. the same finish." Well, okay, <laughs> we already talked about that on the on the podcast, right? Yeah, kind of funny. So, uh, no, l- l- let's be realistic, right? Try to communicate that in a realistic manner. Be realistic, right? Also, the re- reliability target, right? Like, who's going to to plan for the reliability testing and, and everything. If you do it on your side, okay, it's still good for the manufacturer to know about that because as they're going to work on maybe picking some of the, the, the suppliers, are they going to pick a, you know some of the active components that are rated for whatever, you know, 1,000 cycles versus 10,000 cycles? Yeah. Um, it depends on your reliability target. And if you... If you don't have any idea about that, at least you should tell them, well, typical user is going to use it, you know, once a day and I want it to work, you know, at least two years and we're going to have a one-year warranty, but really you should work, you know, two years with a relatively high confidence level. Okay, that's already a target. It's, it's you know, not great, but it's... um. Uh, it's already a starting point and people can calculate based on that and say, okay, how many cycles and, uh, oh, uh, you say once a, once a day, but for how long, you know, people, people can uh, refine that. Okay. So you need, you start to pass the information over to them, right? And then you need to, to see, okay, where can they be better than our team? Because remember, you're not doing that at the very, very end. Like, okay, we have a final prototype, everything is perfect. No, mm. maybe you need to, uh, you, you have a module that's a bit too large. You need to miniaturize it. 
and you need to source maybe a new uh, a new motor or a new battery or something. Okay, maybe they they would do that better than you. Because maybe they are sourcing and purchasing people are right there in the country and they already have experience with these kind of components. And maybe your team is not. So maybe it's better if you start to rely on them. And, and typically, like what we do usually is we say, okay, give us the bomb and then, okay, what's the prices for every line on, on the bill of material? And we say, well, this one is very expensive. Th- th- this doesn't make sense. And they're like, yeah, right. This is kind of a problem. Okay, well, mm-hmm. we need to work on that. We need to challenge it. We need to to see if we can um, can find a supplier that's going to be maybe half the price, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, really, again, engineering designers, what they do is they want to put the prototype together in a way that it works. Okay, they they are not trying to fine tune everything. They uh, they don't have time. They don't have the bandwidth. To optimize it for for every uh, important dimension, right? They have to get it to work. They have one or two challenges in their minds. Uh, they have some unknowns. They put things together. Uh, they're happy if it works. All right, you know. Uh, next design iteration. What are the main challenges that we need to 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 tackle? They they can't have everything in their mind usually. So we find a lot of low hanging fruits to to work on usually, right? So. Bottom line is start to rely on the contract manufacturer. There's certain things that they might be able to do faster than you, than than your team, better than your team, or maybe your team is already fully busy. Well, yeah. uh, you know, then it's extra resources to go faster, right? Mm. Okay. Then I talked about the bill of material, maybe mechanical drawings. You know, yeah, DFM review. Okay, and then who's going to make the adjustments? Again, do you need them to be a resource? you or do you need to um, do you want the same team that did, did the engineering design to uh, to to make the adjustments right um, but and usually both uh, both can be fine and start to work on the costing maybe yeah for the the custom design parts well how much is tooling going to cost <laughs> and based on the consumption of material etc etc what's What's the production unit going to cost, right? Uh, also, for the mechanical drawings, very often they they send a three D drawing that was used for for three D printing and, and and things like that. Well, mm. okay, that that's nice, but we also need two D drawings, right? The two D drawings will show the 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 dimensions, the tolerances. It should include uh, clear mentions of the um, uh, color, material, finish. You know these very important things, right? And also, sometimes they come up with a lot of dimensions and and, and tolerances. Okay, first, do the tolerances actually make sense, right? But also, you give us a drawing with like twenty measurement points. Okay, which ones are critical? You know, mm. which ones are less critical? Meaning that. In production, we won't have, we won't need to to check every single one of them. Like as long as this one, this part fits with this part, we're okay. Okay, then we don't need to take the caliper out every time, right? Or to make a, some kind of checking picture or something. So mechanical drawings, uh, you know, how mature are they, and who is going to work on putting together the two D drawings and and so on, right? 
electronic design, uh, embedded software, right? Okay, how, how mature is that? Uh, are they happy with all the components? Do some of the components actually need to be purchased now? Because maybe they they, they have a long lead time, right? So these these are the types of 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 questions that need to be asked, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 sometimes oh yeah right we still have an issue with this or that okay well, please please see see if you can source that component please please see if you can uh, uh, redesign that PCBA um, th- these types of things sometimes that gets done by the manufacturer's team okay then what we usually suggest is that the final prototype once it, it looks like okay well all the main issues seem it seems like they've been solved, you know, sort of on paper. Okay, who's going to validate that? Like, don't go into tooling <laughs> before validating that. And you need to put together a prototype and test the prototype, right? But who's going to put together that prototype? Ideally, it will be the manufacturer because mm. by putting together the prototype, the manufacturer will learn how assembly gets done. They will see if some operations are a bit tricky, right, um, they will be able to to provide uh, suggestions. And sometimes these suggestions just take, you know, maybe there's, there's one week turnaround for a small change from this to that and different way of fixing that part or something. Okay, don't. Mm. Well, that, that's better. And based on that, the manufacturer will be much more likely to provide a relatively accurate quote for the, the the assembly packing testing work right because mm. now they know exactly what it takes right they uh, maybe they take a video when they assemble the prototype right uh, that that's just an example okay and then you have the hardware you have the software maybe um, if the manufacturer already started to do some of the design work to to finalize the product design Maybe as the, the software is handled by someone of, for, the, for, for the customer, it has to be integrated. And sometimes the integration and the testing and the, the fine-tuning and everything takes days, <laughs> right? So you got to plan for that also. Uh, ideally, you start to integrate earlier and then you see what the issues are, etc. But if you have like two totally separate teams working on these things, the integration might not be smooth. We've had cases where it took more than a week. And that's very time intensive because the people have to be on a call, you know, for hours and try things together. And, you know, one provides feedback to the other and, uh, you know, they're doing some adjustments and try again. And, oh, let's try to debug. Let's try to see where the issue is and, and so on and so forth. So mm. th- these are some of the the, the the typical issues. Okay. Then... Well, once it goes into tooling, once what, what they call EVT, engineering validation testing, uh, is, is completed, is, is really validated, you know, the product design is frozen, it works as intended, okay, let's go into uh, fabricating the tooling and getting the, uh, the design, you know, it's, it's called DVT, design validation testing. Let's get the, the, the tooling made for the custom design parts and once we have the parts coming off of tooling that are validated aesthetically and dimensionally, okay, let's put some tooling samples together. It's just prototypes again, maybe 10 pieces or maybe 20 pieces. Okay, 
put them together, test again, but also sometimes if the aesthetic requirements are relatively high, that phase can include a lot of trial and error. But by that time, by that time, the manufacturer should be in the driver's seat and the customer should be providing feedback. So the handover is basically done. I mean, the industrial designer ideally is still involved and still providing guidance and, and feedback, right? So it's mm -hmm. still, you might say, it's still sort of the end of the, the handover, right? Of all the information about how the product should look, should feel, you know, it's got to sound that way when I drop it on the table. It's got to do a nice thud, you know. Oh, it's got to feel heavy. That that will feel like a higher quality product. Mm. That's the, the the finalizing the handover, right? Then the manufacturers got to work on getting it right, or at least getting it to a point where the industrial designer is is happy enough, right? But then you have to you have to deal with the limitations of the technology that uh, you know the, the manufacturing processes the whatever the, the surface finishing that was picked and so on right sometimes uh miracles miracles cannot be made right and uh, people have to compromise <laughs> and okay let's go ahead for version 1 this is good enough right yeah. but also this is uh this is the time where uh the golden samples are approved ideally the limit samples also to set the boundaries of what is or is not acceptable and this is really helpful to provide uh, the, the the manufacturer with the uh, acceptance criteria, right? Mm. It's really, really important. So I think I haven't forgotten everything, uh, anything uh, important <laughs> here. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a lot to take in, but that just goes to show what is involved in handing over the manufacturing to your manufacturer in order to get a good result, basically, isn't it? So right. there's there's plenty to think about, but it, do, uh, it, it shows there's such a, a stark difference between that and, hey, I've got my product design, I've got, you know, maybe a prototype. Here you go, guys, crack on. Uh, you know, you get that get that going. Uh, show me some products ASAP, you know. Uh, it's huge difference. And by mm. missing this, I mean, wow, the risks are incredible. So uh, I think that's very, very helpful today, Renaud. And um, so many related pieces of content to include in the show notes. So as I always do, please uh, please check those. There'll be some links to go further. And I think we can call it close to this episode. But uh, yeah, thanks for being with me. Uh, speak to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks to listeners. And you will hear from us next week as usual. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.